Hello, hello, and welcome to the newest episode of Riptide Rewind, a Percy Jackson podcast. I'm here today to talk about the Percy Jackson TV show and the episode that was released this past week and take a little bit of a deep dive into it. This podcast is divided into four different sections, an episode rewind, a specific scene, and Greek mythology deep dive, some of my favorite parts of the episode, and we can't forget the Easter eggs, which has kind of turned into foreshadowing slash parallel moments. Disclaimer, as always... If you have not seen the show or read the books yet, there will be spoilers, so I do suggest going back, watching, or reading the book before you listen to these episodes. Don't worry, I will still be here when you're done. Oh, and I'm Kaylin, your fellow Percy Jackson enthusiast and host of this podcast. And now, with that out of the way, let's deep dive into the next episode of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief, A God Buys Us Cheeseburgers. All that I have to say is Persebeth. They were vibing this episode, and I cannot wait to talk about this later. But right now, let's get into the rewind. We open up in Percy's point of view as he breaks the surface of the Mississippi River to see the damage of the St. Louis Arch. That's going to be an issue. Anyway, we then cut to the police scene. Annabeth and Grover are standing to the side as... They are here, Annabeth looks over to find the fates in, like, full tracksuits, knitting with a full bundle of blue yarn. And we are watching them, and they cut the string. And Annabeth looks scared, like, genuinely frightened. I'm pretty sure this string does allude to Luke in The Last Olympian and his, like, lifeline, from what I can remember. I am kind of sad that it wasn't Percy who saw this happen. But it really, again, could be alluding to and hinting at the great prophecy and the choice that they will have to make in the final book with their fight with Kronos. So I'm not, like, I'm sad, but, like, I'm not mad about it. Anyway, Grover's like, they're watching us. And at first, like, I did not know what Grover was talking about. But he was talking about the police and Annabeth was looking and talking about the fates. So it was really clear to me that only she could see them. Again, I don't know if they only appeared to her, but it doesn't mention that Grover, like, sees them, or Grover just doesn't see that they're there at all, which I find interesting. Like, do they only present themselves to people who they want them to see, like, to see them, or is it, like, generic, like, they're just there and Grover didn't see them at all? I don't know. I found that, I found that, um, interesting. Annabeth believes that Percy is alive, and it really, really, really parallels to a few more moments that happen later in the books as well. She says it with such conviction, and I am very happy about this. Grover and Annabeth go and obviously look for him now that the police um, are not looking happy about the situation, and end up finding Percy climbing out of the river, and he starts apologizing for basically pushing down them down the stairs and he was like well sorry but not sorry annabeth with determination stalks towards percy and pulls him into a hug it was very much giving i thought she was gonna punch me then she kissed me it was giving where have you been it was giving percebeth and i loved it except for the fact that i was basically yelling at him through the screen the entire time to hug her back Although, knowing now that they cropped it out of the screen, and he actually did hug her back, one-handed, but still, he didn't leave her completely hanging. Like, why did they cut that? I literally was yelling at my screen for him to, like, hug her back, and I was not very happy about that. But it's okay, we got a photo, and he does look like he is somewhat hugging her back, so I'll take it for what it's worth. Grover is just standing there, watching, and he's like, which... Again, character dynamic, the trio dynamic is literally everything. I am here for it. I am so excited to see more of it. I'm so excited, like, seeing it now. It's coming to life, and, oh, it's incredible. Annabeth snaps back to reality as Grover says something and pulls back looking, like, confused and dazed. It was really cute. It's, like, something took over her and she just needed to hug him. Ah, Percibeth, this was the episode for Percibeth Shippers, and... Oh my gosh, it was fabulous. Anyway, we now know that we need to head to Santa Monica and now the police and pretty much 
any and every other force is after us because of the arch and the Amtrak train. So no more planes, trains, or automobiles for our trio. So we have to start using our legs and uh, start walking. Cardio time! Woohoo! And the police chase is on. This episode was a huge breakthrough for Percy as he is kind of in like disbelief that his father saved him. He's never done this before and it really has a huge impact on him. This is such a big turn for him as he realizes that he actually needs to take this seriously somehow and it's it's just a really big deal for him and us to see him as a character just kind of evolve in this way that oh yeah my dad maybe didn't show that he was there for me before but now he has and even though I don't see that as a complete switch as it should be to like Percy completely caring about the gods and like their decisions because he was obviously questioning questioning them before he needed some parent validation, and I will give that to him, especially knowing that Sally is not there right now to support him. So, it's okay. Again, taking it for what it's worth. So, with the sound of a bike approaching, we are now hiding behind, like, the barrier of the road, and Percy asks, Oh, why are you, like, being weird towards me again? We, like, thought they weren't doing this anymore. Again, the way now that they're able to, like, open up and ask each other what's on their mind and call each other out character growth. I am here for it. And then Percy, like, assuming and addressing that it's the hug, obviously, like, feels bad about it, like, not hugging her back, and calls her a friend. This is the first time that this is actually addressed on screen. And again, a huge breakthrough from, like, literally not trusting her because he didn't think they could ever be friends to almost calling her a friend in the last episode. And now actually calling her a friend in this conversation and having a full-on conversation with her, we're taking very big steps here. Very excited to see more of it. Annabeth clarifies that she's being weird because she saw the fates and the fact that they snipped the thread, meaning one of them is going to die very soon. Yippee. Although, it's not really soon soon, like a few more years soon. Percy is not having the whole fates thing and believes that it's his decision that will complete and have this quest succeed. How his choices are what makes what happen happen. The bike that we've been hearing stops and we hear a voice. This was so funny because the trio, they like pop their heads up above the barrier. And as this stranger who we know is Aries asks if they need help, they like, hide back behind the barrier and then like one or two of their heads would like pop up and I loved it they were they were giving whack like the whack-a-mole game without obviously the whacking but like just them sticking their heads up above it it was very funny they also looked so tiny compared to all their surroundings in this and overall it was I I loved it it was great it was really funny Aries invites them to lunch and offers them help so we head to a diner that is located right up the road, um, and he literally leaves them um, because, you know, he wouldn't take them on his bike to the diner, which is literally located right up the road. No, they have to go and search out, search him out themselves. We meet Aries at the diner, and before he... and before he can get to them, he explains that he needs to start a fight on Twitter. Hilarious and very much like modernizing Aries, which I found very funny as well. We get more information about how the cops think that Percy is a fugitive, and even we even get a clip of Gabe on the news relating back to the books, where he also does this as well, framing Percy for like all of this trouble and that he's a troubled kid. Gabe says at one point, I, I, we really loved that Camaro, therefore giving us watchers the sense that he is very much faking the entire situation and could care less about Sally and Percy's disappearances, which is even more funny knowing that Percy can care less about him as well. <laughs> Cute! Fun! Annabeth then gets under Ares' skin, and before he can even help them, he insists that they will find his shield for him. But there's a catch. There's always a catch, with, so Ares has to keep Grover with him as collateral damage so, you know, they don't go and run away from the situation. Great, now they have to split up, and there's, like, a very serious conversation where, like, 
they're like, no, we're not splitting up again. Like, this is not happening. And Grover's like, it's okay. I, I, I got this under control. He has a plan. He's a mastermind. I love it. Annabeth, as Percy and her are going to leave, tells Grover not to engage with him or even, like, get him riled up and get him mad because, obviously, that'll affect Grover's situation. He doesn't listen to this, sort of, and, you know, Grover's just a mastermind and has his own plan. We love that for him. So it obviously took them a while to find this theme park because it is completely dark out now. Dark to the point where if you are not watching the episode in a completely dark room, you will have an issue on seeing literally anything. There is no light anywhere to be seen. I thankfully watched this in a dark room for the first time, but literally in my rewatches, I I could barely see anything. Like, I had to watch it in the dark, which is one complaint that I do have regarding these episodes is sometimes, like, if it is a dark scene, like, this kind of relates back to Medusa's Slayer too. It was very hard to see if we weren't watching it, like, at night in the dark where there's, like, no reflections or just, like, in general. It was, it was a little difficult. Percy and Annabeth make it to the water park. I like keep saying water park, but it really is an amusement park and it is abandoned and Percy brings up that it feels like a horror movie. Annabeth is like, I wouldn't know. I've never seen any sort of movie. And Percy takes this upon himself to introduce Annabeth to movies. It's canon and I, I love this. This is, again, such a Percybeth moment, but also the fact that that he's going to introduce her to movies like she's barely been out of camp since she was seven this is this is great i'm here for it i am loving this so he basically asks her out on a movie date not literally but he insists that he is going to show her every single movie if they survive this it was really cute again i know they're 12 but like it's it's so cute i love it we get another, like, Annabeth ADHD slash, like, fascination moment when observing, like, a gadget that is above the main entrance of the park. Poor Percy is, like, stuck in the middle of the thing and um, thinks this machine is going to kill him. And Annabeth is distracted and so fascinated by the thing. It was adorable. It's, again, really setting up her character, but also demonstrating ADHD in such a realistic way. I feel like that was really one of the big problems with the movies is that they didn't really show this big trait that demigods have and they've done a great job between Percy and Annabeth who we've really spent the most time with so far um, in displaying this. Um, we also find that this entire place was built by Hephaestus which is a change and I think adds even more to the plot as the episode goes on like, you know, who, like, made it. It just, it makes sense. It's also just petty to the fact that Ares brought Aphrodite to the theme park his brother and Aphrodite's husband built. Just petty. <laughs> Tunnel of love. Annabeth is like, don't be worried about this. And Percy says that he hasn't even said anything. And Annabeth is like, I can feel you thinking. Character growth, character relationships, partnerships, they are blooming. I'm here for it. Throughout this entire episode, we skip between scenes of Annabeth and Percy at the amusement park and scenes between Glover and Aries at the diner, and I really enjoyed seeing both of these plots like unravel throughout the episode. Sometimes for me, I feel like if the plots kind of get intertwined like they it gets a little confusing like when we cut to one scene and then we come back to the other like I'd rather just finish something and then go to the next one but they did a really great job here and I actually really enjoyed how they did this so then we cut back to Grover who is basically trying to interrogate and manipulate the god of war which so good. And while this is happening, Percy and Annabeth enter the Tunnel of Love and are greeted by What is Love and the story of Hephaestus, which I found so fascinating and absolutely loved Percy knowing this story and telling Annabeth about it. Not that, like, Annabeth didn't know about this, but him just relaying this to her, I think, just makes this entire scene so special from a Percybeth point of view. Yeah, it's, like, a little awkward, but it's not forcing anything upon these two characters and it's more just like an informational 
ride, which was great. I really loved it. Epic water ride, and we end up having to jump out of the boat because we would die if we didn't, where we find Annabeth, who can't really swim or is at least being pulled by, like, the current. Um, so Percy, desperate to save her, uses his water powers for the first time and pulls them both out and onto the platform that possesses Aerie's shield and a chip and a chair that Hephaestus built. Props to Walker, who literally has been drenched for the past two episodes. You think Percy Jackson and you think water, but it's obvious they took this really seriously. There are a lot, a lot of water scenes. Again, props to the actors. They did a phenomenal job. So we were figuring this out as we go because Percy has absolutely no idea how he did that. Cut back to Grover and Ares. Ares is talking about how he hates his kids. Poor Clarice. That is so sad. This family story is really, really messy. Grover then is trying to get Ares to open up by basically blaming Athena and we get this very funny conversation about how Ares could be respected if he had an owl on his shoulder and he, like, rants about Athena. It's hilarious. He wants to be respected, too. <laughs> Alexa, play Mastermind by Taylor Swift. Grover knew exactly what he was doing in this situation, and I am so proud of him. Cut back to Annabeth and Percy in the cavern, and Percy is explaining the chair to Annabeth, how it was a gift to Hera from Hephaestus that ended up being a trap. Again, I love that Percy is using this knowledge Sally taught him to share with Annabeth. Just really skimming through this right now because I want to talk about this later. Um, so they're basically, you know, sacrificing themselves for each other in this situation to get the shield and they're, they're like, no, I'll do it. No, I'll do it. We get our first canon show seaweed brain it is canon now it is canon in the show and oh i don't know how i'm gonna i i was screaming crying literally percy sits in the chair and then giving himself up so annabeth can get the shield he also gives annabeth riptide annabeth promises to find his mom and bring her back and then of course like come back and find a way to save percy his final words being i'm okay I'm okay, and then it, like, cuts off, like, as one time he's saying, I'm okay, but, it, like, oh, I'm not crying. I'm not crying at all. Anyway, Percy sacrifices himself, the shield falls, and before Annabeth can even pick up the shield and find an exit, she immediately goes and tries to find a way to get Percy out of this trap. You can tell she thinks about Percy's words for a second and then, like, steps away, or, sorry, he, she steps over the shield towards the gears, like, on the chair, and she believes she can do it. I believe she can do it. And then who enters but the mechanic, the builder himself, Hephaestus, has entered the chat. Okay, quick pause here. Quick question. Do demigods seriously, like, not know what the gods look like in human form? Like, wasn't Annabeth part of the group that went up to Olympus on the winter solstice? Like, Ares too. They all seem genuinely confused on who these people, like, were. Annabeth figured it out very quickly, and it's fine that, like, Percy obviously doesn't know these people, but does she, like, not recognize Hephaestus? Like, that's what I'm, I found interesting, and I'm kind of genuinely confused about. Maybe she was just blinded by her own emotion in the moment, but I was definitely confused on why they weren't being referred to, like, as the gods right away. Just question. Anyway, music plays, Ladder shoots out of the water, giving Annabeth a direct way out. She does not take it, saying to leave her alone so she can figure out a way to get her friend out. She uses this word friend here for the first time. Again, character development. Oh my gosh, I'm here for it. We have seen her grow so, 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 so much over the past few episodes, and it's really special to see her actually call Percy a friend in this moment. She is so determined and won't take no for an answer. Hephaestus offers that her mother will be proud and restore her pride if Annabeth just walks out of there with the shield right now, explaining everything will be as it should be. Everything is absolutely not as it should be, and she, she explains that she will not be like the gods and how she wants to be more like Percy. It is, again, such a huge step for her character, and say it with me now, character development. She looks so helpless. I want to touch this 
more like later but um she basically refuses everything from Hephaestus and at the end of her emotional yet determined monologue Hephaestus gives in and Percy becomes unstuck slash untrapped yay he's back and breathing he like gasps for air making me think that this trap was literally suffocating him Okay, Hephaestus leaves, but not without telling Annabeth that he will put in a good word with her mom for her. And with that, we head back to the diner where Grover and Ares are still waiting. We return with the shield. Yay! And also frustration and emotion. I, like, kind of want to know what happened in between, like, them leaving the water sorry, the amusement park and coming back to the diner. Like, what did they say to each other? And, like, what happened between then and now? Like, there was so much that happened. There was so much emotion that was put into that conversation before Percy sacrificed himself. Like, what what happened? I really, I really want to know. But, you know, they gave us so much, and I am just grateful for it. But it's all right. Just wanted to say that it was Annabeth who brought the shield in and not Percy. I feel like that says something. I don't know. Just, just a thought. Ares gives us a ride in a zoo truck saying that the trio needs to search for Hermes in the Lotus Casino and gives them a backpack. Percy starts to go off at Ares after he said that his father will basically forget all about him over time. Oof. Percy does not take this kindly and has to basically be held back by Grover and Annabeth. Ooh. The conflict is starting between the two. I cannot wait to see the Ares fight. They get in and Grover is like, can we get some paper towels or something? Ares completely ignores him, which is hilarious. The episode finishes as Grover turns to Annabeth and Percy and says he knows who stole the lightning bolt. This was an emotional roller coaster. Just an emotional ride in general, and I cannot wait to see what happens next for these three, even though I already know there is something so special about this show, and I am absolutely loving it so far. I can't wait to see where they take it. I can't wait to see what happens again next for this trio. It's just, oh, it's so good. I am, there's, again, also so much to unpack in this episode as well deep dive time. There is so much that I want to talk about, mainly Percy Beth related because why wouldn't it be? But before we get to that, let's dive into a few more different scenes. Percy, alive, climbs out of the Mississippi River and we get a delightful scene, which I have already described and graced with my opinions and thoughts, but diving even deeper into this and the scene that follows, with our trio now moving westward with that cardio going. But um, I just really wanted to address the trust that we are really be beginning to see within the show here. Percy popping out of the water, telling them that they need to immediately go to Santa Monica, basically giving them no context, except that his father is going to meet him is one thing. Also, the switch in dynamic that Percy is now like beginning to believe in his father and realize that, wow, he actually saved me, having this, like, protagonist moment. And Annabeth, on the other hand, coming out of the last episode with her mother basically punish punishing her and not giving her any sort of help is a huge flip. It's like they flip-flopped. To see Percy finally have this moment after several episodes where he is constantly like, Poseidon has never helped me, I don't want anything to do with him, was a huge deal. Especially leading up to the end of the show. And it almost quote-unquote saves Percy from like joining Luke at the end of the finale. I really want to touch more on this later but the dynamic again completely switched, switched between the two and even the trio in general. Grover and Ares. Okay, throughout this entire episode we get a very in-depth and just overall a great conversation between Grover and Ares. Grover, the absolute mastermind that he is, I loved seeing this side of Grover. We've never seen this before and it just added so much depth depth to his character. I loved it. I feel as though I have mentioned this before, but in the books, Grover seems to be written off as like the lovable side character that doesn't really have much depth perception to him. This 
in my opinion, and even though I love Grover, he has his moments where his personality traits like weren't really there and he was just kind of there for, I don't know, more comedic relief. But to see him become so much more relatable and like a three-dimensional character in the series makes me see it as though he has opinions and his opinions matter, which is great. And I absolutely loved seeing this character evolve throughout the like episodes so far. It's been great. Talk about character development because this is a big one. Anyway, that is not the main purpose of this segment. At the beginning of this conversation, um, little bit that we get between the two, Ares is basically refusing to believe that Grover is like a fan of his saying, satyrs eat tofu, satyrs worship flowers, satyrs sing songs about their feelings, satyrs are no fan of mine. And in response to this, Grover brings up a very good point of natural nature is brutal. Red and tooth and claw, right? Which is a great comparison when it comes to like who worships who and how it can really just be stereotyped. It also again shows a different side of Grover and how he isn't just like the one-sided of how nature is beautiful and pleasant, but there is also a brutal and harsh side to it. Ares respecting and coming to see that Grover really likes the deep cuts of his war and respects him for the overwhelming forces he brings and the quick surrenders as well. Grover getting Ares to see his side of these wars and also earning the gods like somewhat trust to have him open up enough to him. Absolutely brilliant. Grover being able to slowly get Ares to, again, open up about this theft of the Master Bolt, him blaming Athena, basically using this to his advantage. Also, Athena has been coming up a lot lately, which I find very interesting. Overall, such a wonderful scene to watch, and I also just loved seeing, again, the side of Grover. It was, it was beautiful. And also just Grover gaslighting Ares the entire time was fantastic. Arian absolutely nailed it and this was just a great way for us to see more of Grover and well to get you know a little bit more information on Ares as well and you know we know that he's going to show up later for a said fight so it was good to kind of know a little bit more of his motives behind some of this and even like but we get this scene with just Percy and Annabeth, which I believe is for the first time. Yes, we've gotten like some more vulnerable like moments and one-on-one -on -one conversations with the two of them, but they were very short-lasting or Grover was there and it wasn't as big as this, like as these scenes. I am not completely discounting that little scene that we got between the two last episode, but it's a lot longer this time and it's also like their own little mini quest with Grover not being here. What is love? Percy is like, I think I've heard this before in my orthodontist office. That's so him. That's so him of him. It's, this was really funny. Anyway, as they're in the boat, we see the lights like dancing across the wall and Percy then explains like the myth of Hephaestus to Annabeth. Usually in the books, it is mainly Annabeth explaining all of these facts to Percy, but I actually did not mind that Percy has already some of this really big background knowledge on this world and it's not all Annabeth teaching him everything. And I loved seeing this. Percy hesitates at one point, then making Annabeth question what he's going to say. And again, I love how they are at this point where they aren't afraid of like offending the other person by like genuinely asking a question, which is such great character development for both of them. Oh, I could go on about it for hours. Percy then says something along the lines of how like Sally was protecting him and warning Percy about the gods and half-bloods and how she didn't want him to be exposed to them and basically tried to keep him away from them, including Annabeth in this statement, as I might add. Annabeth then like shoots back with the fact that she wasn't warning or avoiding the godly world completely. Sally was actually trying to prepare Percy for all of this so he didn't turn out like any other person in this world, which comes up later in this episode. But it was so brave of Annabeth to say, hey, yeah, my mom isn't the best, but yours genuinely prepared you for this world and you should be grateful for that. It seems as though in this moment, Percy is mad at his, at, mad at his mother. I am not standing the Sally slander and annoyance to her, but he ends up coming around 
he seems like he is questioning the situation. It again also shows the growth of Annabeth's character as well and how she sees Sally as though he was she was preparing Percy and conveying this to him. Again, it comes up in a later conversation with Hephaestus, but they really show each other the opposite sides of things, and I think this is why their bond and relationship is so strong. They really balance, balance each other out in such a healthy way. Persebeth was Persebething in this episode, and hard too. Not even joking. The cinematic masterpiece, also known as Persebeth, took hold and control over the entire episode. It was fantastic. No notes at all. We made a huge jump and a lot, a lot of progress in this episode with the trust and the respect that these two have for each other. As readers and watchers, it is so important for them to expand on this relationship so early and just so early on because we get to see them become closer and their bond go even deeper than before and it also really helps with setting up their romantic relationship, how it's basically already there minus like you know the intimacies that come along with dating the foundation and the fundamentals of their relationship and this beautiful partnership are really brought to life in this scene and in all of these scenes such as this one man it is just truly amazing and truly wonderful to watch there is nothing physical that is happening here such as like hold handing or whatnot besides the hug at the beginning and i feel like this is completely different i think it again just really shows that the concrete of their partnership really and just it the only way now to go is up and it's great that was really confusing but it's so true it's it's really true i don't think again i will ever shut up about character development it is so important to me as a reader and a writer and i find it so fascinating and intriguing to see how characters can grow from situations and even people too to see all of these just come to life on screen with such amazing character growth is one thing that I am most grateful for in this series. It is truly remarkable to see this happen, especially knowing where the story is going, but we get to see this in like a completely different light, which is just, again, so beautiful. In this tunnel of love scene, we get Annabeth and Percy willing willing to sacrifice their lives for each other to let the other continue on the quest. We got this in the last episode on a little bit more of a lower scale than this, but the emotion and respect that is poured into this made it honestly a lot more higher like stakes. This whole conversation that we get between the two of them was just pure perfection. It was so good. Annabeth immediately goes to like sacrifice herself and Percy tells her to stop. She calls him seaweed brain and how she's not going to basically let him push her away this time. Percy then starts to admit that the reason she is here is because in episode two, he told Chiron that he needed someone who wouldn't hesitate to push him down a flight of stairs to make sure that this quest succeeds. It also seems like we are using this analogy of pushing people down the stairs a lot. That, that is interesting. LOL. This is basically the whole reason why she's here. Again, how he is starting to admit that the fates were right and he is starting to accept that this is such a full circle moment from the beginning. Annabeth really does not want to accept that he is going to sacrifice himself so the quest can go on. And this just shows how much her character has grown. Character development. I will not shut up about this because it is so true and so beautiful to see. Percy admits to her again in the heat of this argument, that Annabeth is just better at this than him. The quests, the gods, the world in general. He respects that she is a lot better at, than him in this way. Oh my god, the emotion just builds throughout the entire scene and does not come down till the end. He ends up giving her Riptide and before he even gets a chance to even ask, Annabeth promises to bring his mom back from the underworld. Stop even more character development here for her because the fact that she won't like didn't even hesitate knowing how much his mom means to him oh, it was beautiful also quick add that last time meaning last episode he was going to give her riptide then switches places to now where he actually gives her riptide before sacrificing himself just shows how much he trusts her to do the right thing as well and 
even in this moment, she knows it's wrong. And because it's his quest, she should be the one to sacrifice herself. And also the way that Annabeth, I mean, both of them do, but the way that they both are just look so devastated here makes me forget that they're like only 12 years old. They're only 12. They shouldn't have to be worrying about this, worrying about succeeding in a quest or sacrificing themselves, seeing each other sacrifice like themselves for the other person. They were both in tears. They had tears in their eyes, but are both like trying to stay strong for the other person, yet really showing how much they care for each other. That right there is the epitome of Percy and Annabeth's relationship. And man, I don't know how I'm going to have going to wait for future seasons. Yet at the same time, I'm so excited to see where they take this and it's going to be something great. I'm so excited. I mean, it already is, but I can't wait to see them grow even more. So Annabeth, admitting again that this is a bad idea, shouts loudly for Percy to stand up and he's like, no, I can't, and tries to convince her that he's okay. Again, relaying that he is trying to stay strong for her and show that she shouldn't feel guilty about leaving him here to finish this quest. I do have to add that he is not actually dying, but it is just like a trap. So yes, it is super sad that he is doing this and they both don't know how he's going to get out of it, but this is not the end. Also, this whole scene just shows their fatal flaws and Beth's pride how she's about to sacrifice herself for the quest, his his quest, so he can continue and go on, and how she doesn't have any support from her mother right now, but she has support from Percy. And then Percy, his loyalty is like, no, I'm not letting my friends get hurt and have to sacrifice themselves for something that may not even stop a war, according to Ares. Again, Percybeth, they are the footprint, the foundation, the overall standard for a relationship. Platonically, too. Like, they just... It was such a beautiful scene to see. And oh, are we all good after that? Because I was for sure not, and I'm still not. Also, I completely forgot to mention this earlier, but Annabeth, like, hasn't seen any kind of movie. Excuse me, Frederick Chase. <laughs> What is the meaning of this? I know demigods can't have phones, which, you know, is a very blurred line, but technology altogether? We have beef now, and I will not be accepting this, but at least Percy is going to show her some movies, so, you know, that's one thing that makes it up for it. And now, we're moving on to even more emotional damaging stuff. Annabeth has a conversation with Hephaestus. Guys, Again, this episode, full of just emotion, this conversation we get between the two, it was pulling heartstrings. So Annabeth is literally shocked, doesn't really know what to do, and she immediately, like, looks at the shield, then goes back to the chair, like, immediately trying to figure out how to get Percy out of this. Hephaestus comes in, the entire monologue that she has is just absolutely beautiful. I found it really eye-opening as well. This is just between Annabeth and Hephaestus, but we know, like, Percy can't hear a thing, from at least what we know. This is just... which I think makes it so much better. He doesn't really know what Annabeth thinks of him, like, at all, and she is more, like, of a closed-off character, obviously, who doesn't openly trust him right away from what we've obviously seen, and I think that I think that is what is important to remember when looking back on this because it's not going to really change how Percy sees her. It changes how we as watchers see their dynamic, knowing that in this little inside information, but nothing else really changes. Annabeth basically is just admitting that she doesn't want to be like her mother or Zeus and will not do with all of these power-hungry schemes and side quests which is a really big moment for her as we have seen her already go through this emotional journey of being punished because she embarrassed her mother to then say yeah maybe maybe Percy is right he's different because Sally raised him the way that she did and it really shows how different he is Percy as we continue to see questions things and again it's one of the many things that I just love about his character Annabeth as we see 
has also been affected a lot by Percy, and to see this growth that she has made throughout the season is just now incredible. Their dynamic relationship, their friendship, is just so beautiful to see unravel like this, and I... And to see Annabeth get so worked up and emotional, which she doesn't get quite often, about someone she now deeply cares about and could care less about getting validation from her mother, character development. I don't think I could say it anymore. Literally, it's it's great. Hephaestus literally offers her the pride, the validation, and the recognition that she has been looking for since the beginning, and she chooses Percy, saving her own friend over this. And then, and then when Percy gets released from this trap, the way he immediately sees Hephaestus doesn't know that he was helped by him, stood up quickly to stand next to or in front of Annabeth. I can't. It's too good. This is only season one. They have really changed each other for the better and they continue to do so. And literally, oh my god, I could just go on. Their partnership is just beautiful and something I am so grateful they have started to explore and open up early in the season. It's really setting up and going to affect how other situations regarding these two play out and I'm so excited to see it unravel. I mean, I'm so excited seeing it now too, believe me. Like, the fact that we are getting this on screen right now, it's beautiful. Okay, going into some Greek lore, we um, have the fates this week. It's for the first time ever in this episode. It isn't a pleasant exchange as they are literally cutting a lifeline, to, but you know, it's an introduction nonetheless. There are three different fates that weave the fates of mankind and are often known as Morari. Again, so sorry if I butcher any of these names. This actually translates to allotted poison. They each have different roles within the process of handing out fate. Cleoth, the first fate, the spinner, she is responsible for weaving the threads of a person's life when in the womb. She is the weaver and is often referred to during pregnancies or during childbirth. The second fate, Lychus, determines how long a human's lifespan will be and how many trials will be faced in this time period. She also threads and gives each person a soul. The third fate, Atropus, is the one who cuts the life threads to a person's life. She is also the fate in this episode that we see cutting the string, therefore representing the fate of death. We have creation, life, and death. And it's pretty clear that we see like which fate is which um, during this episode and what they are doing in the moment like really um, connects what their role is within the fates. It's really cool. So I realized that I haven't, like, done many of the gods or just, like, the gods at all in this section. So I'm going to start with that and continue to do so because we do see both Ares and Hephaestus throughout this entire episode. Ares, we meet, is the god of war. Unlike other gods, Ares isn't as worshipped um, amongst the Greeks. He represents the brutal outcomes of worship and battles. He is one of the depicted 12 Olympian gods who reside on Mount Olympus, the son of Zeus and Hera, who aren't very fond of him, along with his siblings Athena, Hephaestus, and Hebe. He has many other siblings as well. His girlfriend, wife, I don't know if they've even labeled their relationship, Aphrodite, the love goddess, and is also Hephaestus' wife, with Aphrodite, he is the father of too many children, including Eros, Phaebos, and Harmonia, along with others as well. He is also the father of Clarice, who we see in the show. Hephaestus. Hephaestus is the Greek god of artisans, craftsmen, fire, metalwork, and sculptures. He is often depicted as a bearded man holding a hammer because he was depicted as ugly at birth, Hera, his own mother, tossed him off the side of Mount Olympus. Such a lovely family. He is also the husband of Aphrodite, which, because he is not beautiful, Aphrodite isn't very faithful to him, unfortunately. We catch a glimpse of one of the most famous myths regarding Hephaestus, where he builds a chair and ends up trapping Hera in it as punishment for throwing him off Olympus. He wandered the earth until Dionysus basically got him drunk and brought him back to Olympus where Hephaestus agreed to let her go. 
I always forget to say this, but all of the links to where I did my research and found all of this information can be found in my show notes. Favorite parts of the episode. Let's go. This one was so good. I can't wait to talk about this section of the podcast. Okay, so starting off with Annabeth basically believing that Percy was alive. Such a good reference to other moments that happen throughout the books where they both are just just believing that the other one is alive in crazy situations. I loved it. Percy being like, sorry I pushed you in the stairwell. That sounds really bad now that I'm like saying it out loud, but like <laughs> actually not really sorry about it. On point. Loved it. Annabeth literally storming up and then hugging Percy. She was so cute. It's giving that one scene in the Battle of the Labyrinth where Percy comes back during his own funeral. It's giving, again, I thought she was going to punch me, then she kissed me. We aren't there yet, but, you know, I'm so excited for future seasons. I am crossing my fingers. Really am. The trio popping up their heads while, like, they're the first introduction of Ares. Popping up their heads like little whack-a-moles without the whacking. Maybe, maybe that's not the right analogy for that. Maybe, like, little prairie dogs is, the, is a, like, a better term for it. But overall, I loved it. It was so cute. And it just also showed how tiny they were, like, compared to their surroundings. They're so young. They're only, like, 12. Also, just the introduction of Ares in general, on point. It was great. Absolutely loved it. Percy's line of, what kind of family is this? As he's, like, talking about Ares. <laughs> so true. It, it was really funny. Okay, this entire conversation, this entire talk that Ares and we get with him at the beginning in the diner, I feel like we were really able to see his character more and like the whole moment of him starting a fight on Twitter was really hilarious. Annabeth has like the little fascination with the machine um, built by Hephaestus at the front of the theme park, um, Waterland. It was such a wholesome moment for her. I absolutely loved it. The entire, entire conversation that we get between Ares and Grover, Grover, such a mastermind and overall just such a fascinating scene and a great add-in that we get to see between these two characters. Ares says at one point, it's like people only see what they want to see and ignore everything else, which I think is so relatable when talking about real life as well. Percy using his powers for the first time out of panic and basically has no clue exactly how he does it, which I think adds so much to his character as he is still trying to learn who he is and what power he possesses. And overall, just I'm really glad that they kind of changed that in this. Annabeth then defending Sally as she is saying that she was helping prepare Percy for this world so he wouldn't be like the rest of the gods or demigods and just awful in general, which then comes up in later conversation and I think is just beautiful. This isn't the arch seaweed brain. That's it. This right here. No more needs to be said about this. Percy giving Annabeth a riptide and saying that she is better at this than him. Such a sweet, vulnerable moment for the two of them as they continue on on the quest, but also so heartbreaking. Like Percy's going to sacrifice himself. Ah, oh my goodness. Annabeth talking to Hephaestus and saying that she doesn't want to be like the gods with glory and pride and she wants to be like Percy, which is so wholesome and sweet. Percy just telling off Ares that they will not fail this quest or start a war. They are actually going to do the complete opposite, therefore setting up the dynamic and conflict between these two characters for the later fight. Very good foreshadowing here. Thank you for the emotional abuse and the cheeseburgers. Grover Underwood, episode five. Dare I say more? Segwaying into the Easter eggs portion of this episode, again, I didn't really notice anything huge. So we are going back with the parallels and the foreshadowing. But one thing I did notice, though, was when Percy was turned into gold and when he sat in Hephaestus's chair, it was obvious that, you know, this trap was set originally for Hera. But I also did, was it like a little... Midas like reference an easter egg they put in there because he was turned to gold I thought that was pretty cool again that may not be like at all what they were thinking that was going to be about but I thought it was cool nonetheless 
So at one point during this episode, while Ares is having lunch with the trio at the diner, he mentions that the Olympians fight, backstab, and betray each other often. They will push each other down a flight of stairs to get what they want. It seemed like a huge parallel and throwback to what Percy said in episode two. It seems like pushing each other downstairs seems to be a metaphor and action that is taken very literally throughout the series so far. In episode two, Percy tells Chiron that he's going to need somebody to push, who will push him down a flight of stairs if it is needed for the quest to succeed, which is Annabeth in this case. When Ares says the same thing about how the entire Greek family will basically do anything and do just that to gain power, glory, or basically anything they want, it seemed like it was alluding to this same fact that was said earlier. And then in the Tunnel of Love, where we get Percy telling Annabeth that this is exactly what she was brought along on the quest for, she doesn't completely go through with this. She respects well, maybe doesn't respect his choices of sacrificing himself, but in the end, she doesn't do it for the power and glory, meaning taking the shield and going to Ares. She then goes and immediately tries to get Percy out, then again demonstrating that she has changed and isn't a part of this endless cycle of the gods and demigods pushing each other down for this glory. It was really an eye-opener, and yet it seemed like this metaphor served its purpose and we are able to see this character development between these three and it is great and I am loving watching it unravel and unfold. Percy not believing and like accepting the fates at first, believing that it is his own decisions that are the reason like how things are going to happen on the quest and then fully admitting to fate in the tunnel of love. Such a beautiful full circle moment for him and then trusting that things are going to happen for a reason and that this is his fate from his perspective it shows his character growth even though this was just one episode like it's it's about the yielding it's about letting what is either doomed or just supposed to happen in general happen again a great full circle moment and i really do believe that they're, they're all learning it's a learning curve and it's great to just see it happen on screen. I've absolutely loved it. This one was for the Percebeth fans. This one was for just the overall Percy Jackson fans. This one was definitely my favorite by far. I think, again, I have probably said this about every single episode so far, but you know what? It's honestly so true. Hope you enjoyed me basically just fangirling over Percebeth for the past, I don't know, 50 minutes. I can't wait to see what happens on the rest of the quest and just even more character development that we will get along the way um, and just get to. Super excited. Thank you all for listening today. I will be back next with the Lotus Casino, Hermes, and Percy not being a licensed driver. You can follow me on Instagram at Riptide Rewind Pod for more information regarding this podcast and any other Percy Jackson related content. If you enjoyed, please do share with family and friends. Thank you so much again and see you guys later. Bye!